that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. In today's episode, we'll be discussing chapter 7 of our source text, On Trial for the Gospel. But first, a review of the previous episode, chapter 6, A Faith Beyond Words where we left our two pilgrims, Christian and faithful, just as talkative had parted company with them. Now, while faithful is glad to have had the chance to discuss the gospel with talkative, Christian counsels his brother that, quote, he, talkative, would rather leave your company than reform his life. And to this he adds, the apostle says, from such withdraw yourself. 1 Timothy 6, 5. Then Christian congratulates Faithful that, quote, he did well to talk with him so directly. And he adds, this lack of plain speaking makes religion stink in the nostrils of many. For there are these talkative fools whose religion is only in word, but whose conduct is debauched and vain. When fellows like talkative are admitted into the fellowship of the godly, the world is puzzled. Christianity is disgraced, and sincere pilgrims are grieved. I wish that all men would deal with these types as you have done. Then they would either reform their conduct or flee the company of saints, since it would be too hot for them. Well, we'll end our review of this chapter with the two questions that Faithful asked Talkative. One, How does God's saving grace reveal itself in a man's heart? That is, how do you know when one is truly saved, that is, born again? Number two, do the fruits of your life and your talk match? That is, does the testimony of your life prove your salvation? As mentioned in the previous episode, these questions are for all who wish to be admitted into the fellowship of the godly. Amen. These direct questions, loved ones, demand to know where you stand with God. Are you prepared to answer them? Are any of us prepared to answer them? Now today we're going to be discussing chapter 7, a trial on trial for the gospel. First, an overview of today's text. Christian and Faithful get a visit from an old friend, evangelist. Both Christian and Faithful learn to be humble, but also honest and true to their faith in the face of reviling persecution. And they learn that this narrow way to the city is not possible unless you're walking with Jesus. 
For Christians, there is no way around the town of vanity. Why, you might ask? Because the evil one purposely placed it directly on the path to the city. There is no other way. The town is famous for its light-hearted atmosphere and its fair, a fair that has been there forever. The town of vanity, like the city of destruction from where Christian had fled, is representative of the world in its opposition to God. Now the city of destruction portrays the world as under the wrath and condemnation of God for its sin and immorality. While the town of vanity dresses up the sin and immorality of the world to appear alluring and desirable, it is enticing to the eye, but empty in the end. Vanity represents the prideful arrogance and conceit of this world. It is a description of the world without Christ, life without the hope of the gospel, meaningless, futile, and pointless in the end. Vanity Fair is Satan's attempt to distract and hinder us from following Christ. It is his best and most sordid attempt to lure us into grasping at things that in the end will bring us nothing and keep us from our crown of knowing and serving and loving the living God. Christ alone is the way. He is the truth and the life. He alone has the words of life. John six sixty eight. Listen, loved ones, if we miss Christ, we miss it all. Solomon looked at the futility of life in this world and concluded all is vanity. From Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, Yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. From Ecclesiastes 11.8 Now here, in this part of the journey, our pilgrims will learn that the fair is ancient, that the fair is continuous, the fair is corrupt, and the fair is international. It is God's will that we walk through this world, though it has fallen and marred with sin. Christian and faithful are not interested in what the town has to offer. They are not tempted by temporary and fleeting pleasures. They refuse to look at the wares displayed for sale. Are we loved ones? From Psalms 119.37, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Eventually, our pilgrims are tried for disrupting the fair, for refusing to embrace it, for not looking at the merchandise. And the crime they committed? Well, they were different, both in manner and dress. Not of the kind who live in that world. Ultimately, they are found guilty and sentenced, resulting in the martyrdom of faithful. 
Now, as it turns out, with all that's going on here, especially with the trial of faithful, Christian is able to escape from his cell, and he's accompanied by hopeful, a new pilgrim who was encouraged by the righteous actions of both Christian and faithful. Hopeful tells Christian that many others were also encouraged and may soon make the pilgrimage along the narrow way. And what are the spiritual truths in this chapter? Well, we will learn these. There is no way forward except through vanity fair. We must all suffer its trials. There is no way forward without tribulations. That we must remain faithful to the end. That there is no way to the city without death. And from Luke 6.22, they will learn, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Amen. Well, that concludes our overview of today's chapter, The Town of Vanity Fair. Now let's back up and begin where we left off last time. So, after Talkative departed, Christian looked up and saw their good friend evangelist who assures them that they have, through many trials, been victorious. But he also assures them that there are worse trials to come even death, and that they must stay the course to reap the glory. From Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And from Revelation three eleven, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Evangelist warns them that they must continue to resist the devil and to fight against sin. They must seek first the kingdom of God and aim for what is invisible, spiritual, eternal, rather than what is visible, worldly, and temporal. They are to keep themselves unstained from the world and to guard their hearts from temptations, James 1.27. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. And they learn the promise of suffering. Evangelist tells them there must be tribulations. In Christ we have all we need to endure those tribulations in this life. Jesus himself said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16.33 Our pilgrims learned that one of them will suffer as a martyr, but that he who does will fare better than the one left behind. Why? because he will not have to suffer the many tribulations yet to come along the narrow way. And they learn, of course, that they must finish the race. I mean, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, 23 to 24. And they learn about the imperishable crown. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four to 27 and they learn about the good fight. Second Timothy 4.7 I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And now a word from Charles Spurgeon on trials and tribulations. Quote, When weary of the strife and sin that meet you on every hand, consider that all the saints have endured the same trial. They were not carried on beds of down to heaven, and you must not expect to travel more easily than they. They had to hazard their lives unto the death in the high places of the field, and you will not be crowned till you also have endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. So what will our pilgrims, Christian and faithful, learn as they now enter Vanity Fair? They will learn to be humble. They will learn to be honest and true to their faith, even in the face of abusive persecution. And they will learn that getting through this is not possible unless you are walking with Jesus. And through it they must go for there is no way around it, not for them and not for us, loved ones. Now the town of Vanity, like the city of destruction from where Christian had fled, represents the world in opposition to God. The city of destruction portrays the world as under the wrath and condemnation of God for its sin and immorality. The town of Vanity dresses up the sin an immorality of the world to appear alluring and desirable. It is enticing to the eye, but empty in the end. Vanity represents the pride and arrogance and conceit of the world. It is a description of the world without Christ. It is a life without the hope of the gospel, meaningless, futile, and pointless to the end. Vanity Fair is Satan's attempt to distract and hinder us from following after Christ. It is his vile scheme to entice us into grasping at things that in the end will mean nothing and keep us from great treasure. Nay, not just great treasure, but rather the greatest of all treasures, knowing and serving and loving our living God. Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. 
He alone has the words of life. If we miss Christ, loved ones, we miss it all. Solomon looked at the futility of life in this world and concluded, all is vanity. From Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And also from Ecclesiastes 11.8, But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. And about the fair, as I mentioned earlier, but which bears repeating, the fair is ancient. Its origins date back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were tempted and enticed to disobey the living God. Genesis 3. To the fair is continuous. It lasts all year long. Temptations, loved ones, are always around us in every age, in every generation, and in all walks of life. They are inescapable. Three, and the fair is corrupt. It is tainted by sinful passions. And four, the fair is international. It embraces the styles and wares of every country and every culture. God has measured the nations and all is vanity, Isaiah forty seventeen. Bunyan's point here is that anything, even good things, can be turned into an idol and become bad. This happens, of course, when it becomes more important and more valuable to us than Christ. And number five, it is God's will that we walk through this world, though it is fallen and marred with sin. We must still walk through it. Six, Christian and faithful are not interested in what the town has to offer. They are not tempted by temporary and fleeting pleasures. They refuse to look at the wares displayed for sale. Are we? Oh, Father God, we beseech you, turn our eyes away from worthless and evil things. Revive us in your way. Amen. Let us pause here for a moment to make sense of, to understand what appears to be a paradox, that our pilgrims have arrived at a place that is seemingly identical to that from which they came. So we must ask, what is the difference between the city of destruction and Vanity Fair? Well, the difference lies solely in the heart of Christian. Indeed, this is so for all pilgrims. In other words, the city of destruction and Vanity Fair are the same physical place. What's actually changed is that Christian and faithful are different men, spiritually. They now see things through eyes that have been opened. And so, what was once the city of destruction is now Vanity Fair, where they are hated and persecuted and defiled. Once they were among them, now they are a part and one of his. Amen. So now as they enter the fair, our pilgrims are no longer men of this world, but rather men of God. Spurgeon writes, 
Pilgrims travel as suspects through Vanity Fair. Not only are we under surveillance, but there are more spies than we know of. The espionage is everywhere, at home and abroad. If we fall into the enemy's hands, we may sooner expect generosity from a wolf or mercy from a fiend than anything like patience with our infirmities from men who spice their infidelity towards God with scandals against his people. Live a godly and gracious life, and you will not escape persecution. Let me repeat that, loved ones. Live a godly, gracious life, and you will not escape persecution. So the city in which they had once lived a contented life, then ran from, desperately fearing the wrath that was to come, they now enter as convinced and convicted Christians, ready to put up with whatever persecution may come their way. Our pilgrims are no longer citizens of the city of destruction and nor of the town of vanity. They are pilgrims and strangers in it. This change reflects a dramatic spiritual change of self that is a transmutation. They are now in this world, but not of it. They have indeed become sojourners on the narrow way. Amen. The trial for pilgrims, all of us, loved ones, who are traveling along the king's highway is this. This highway runs directly through this town of vanity. And as I said before, there is no way around it. It's where we are right now. You may not have noticed it when you were of this world, but when you change, when you give your life to Jesus, when you're no longer of this world, but of that which is to come, then the things of this world take on an entirely different meaning. Once you have accepted the Lord, your entire worldview changes. Hallelujah just as it did with Pilgrim and Faithful. And not only does your worldview change, but the view of others, the view that others have of you changes. And it was this that got our pilgrims charged with treasonous acts. They dressed differently. They spoke differently. They stood out as they endeavored to obey the will of God. They sought to buy only the truth. They plugged their ears and cried, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. And then, looking upwards, showing that their business was in the heavenly realm. Let's read from Second Corinthians 4.1. We'll begin there. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Amen. Let's remember that our Lord King of Kings, Christ Jesus, had to pass through these very trials, didn't he? 
And so will you and I, loved ones. Remember then that in this town of vanity, Christian and faithful would buy no wares, which infuriated the sellers. They were interested only in buying the truth, which further infuriated the crowd. And they were calm, causing the people to become enraged, and by their living testimony bringing others to the Lord. Now imagine, if you would, an image showing a mall, a shopping mall on Black Friday, packed with people, frantically on the lookout, seeking the best, seeking the one thing that will make their lives better. Sound familiar? This is Vanity Fair today. This image that you've conjured up will will remind you of the shop-till-you-drop mentality and an unambiguous focus on the things of this world. Does this not also reflect where the heart is? But just for a moment, imagine what it would mean if these people were marching for Christ, proclaiming the gospel instead of hunting ravenously for that which is useless. Here's something for the memory banks, loved ones. C.S. Lewis wrote, Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. That bears repeating. Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. And now, the trial. Well, given that their behavior was spotless throughout, Indeed, our pilgrims conducted themselves so very wisely and soberly that many townspeople sided with them and spoke up for their release. Ultimately, this split the town, which resulted in the two factions clashing in the streets. Our pilgrims, having done nothing, are now prisoners and blamed for this division. Ultimately, they are charged as enemies too, and disturbers of their trade, that they have made commotions and divisions in the town and had won a party to their own most dangerous opinions in contempt of the law of their prince. In other words, their testimony has already convicted others of their own sin and is winning converts to the Lord. I should remind us all at this point, that we're giving out our testimony every day. Whether we know it or not, people watch us. Our living testimony. Will it put Christ where he needs to be? Or will it show shame and disrespect by sinful ways? Now the name of the judge in this trial is one Lord Hate Good, a name that tells us all we need to know to assess his stance. As the trial in vanity continues, the court sends out a summons for witnesses. There are three, envy, superstition, and flattery. Now, the names of these three witnesses represent the persecutory motivations of those who defile and desecrate Christians and Christ's church. Now, envy... A growing number were curious, 
Those who hold influence in the town were alarmed by the attention and sympathy given to the pilgrims. They wanted Christian and faithful silenced. Their envy gave rise to persecution. And it was envy that stirred the Jews to persecute Paul and Barnabas at Antioch. From Acts 13, 44-45. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And so it was with our Lord Jesus. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And then there was superstition. Now, this is not superstition in the way we usually define it, as an unfounded belief or in fear of the supernatural. No, what Bunyan has in mind here is a much older definition, meaning excessive exactness or rigor in religious opinion or practice, rooted in false religion and false worship. And then there's flattery, a self-serving tattletale, a whispering parasite, an officious fellow who does what he is not desired to do for the sake of gaining favors. Recall that when Christian and Hopeful left the delectable mountains and set their path to the celestial city, that the shepherds warned them to, quote, be aware of the flatterer, and they did not take that advice. And thus, as you will remember, ended up in a net, unable to escape, sitting there weeping for quite some time, Recall that Christian said to Faithful, as in the saying of the wise men, so we have found it this day. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now let's move to Faithful's defense. And we'll begin with an uplifting poetic verse of encouragement. Now Faithful, play the man, speak for thy God. Fear not the wicked's malice, nor their rod. Speak boldly, man. The truth is on thy side. Die for it, and to life in triumph ride. Then Faithful began to answer that he had only set himself against that which hath set itself against him, that is, higher than the highest. And said he, as for disturbance I make none, being myself a man of peace. The parties that were one to us were one by beholding our truth and innocence, and they are only turned from the worst to the better. And as to the king you talk of, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his angels. That was a quote from one of the earliest editions of the Pilgrim's Progress. Now, in response to envy, Faithful says this. In the first place, in answer to what Mr. Envy has said, I never said anything but the following. Whatever rules or laws or customs or people are contrary to the word of God, these things are diametrically opposed to Christianity. And if I have said something wrong, then convince me of my error 
and I am ready here before you all to make my recantation. In response to superstition, he says, As to the second point that Mr. Superstition made in his charge against me, I said only this, In the worship of God there is required a divine faith that only attends a divine revelation of the will of God. And therefore, whatever things are thrust into the worship of God that are contrary to divine revelation cannot be done but by mere human faith, and human faith will not result in eternal life. And finally, in response to flattery, he says, As to what Mr. Flattery has charged, I said, and without ranting, that the prince of this town, his attendants, the brutish mob, and all the rest named by Mr. Flattery are more ready for hell than for this town and country. And so may the Lord have mercy upon me. So Faithful was willing to stand for the truth, loved ones, even though it would cost him his life. He sees clearly that the town is under siege, engaged in a spiritual battle. Are we not engaged in such a battle today, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year? Are we willing to stand for the truth as he did? Are we willing to give it all to the one to whom we belong? So faithful says he defies the principalities and powers that would keep the town in darkness and bondage. Though he is scorned and beaten down by oppressors, he is not discouraged, but rather emboldened. Though cursed by the world, he is blessed by his Lord. Jesus taught those who are scorned and reviled for his sake to respond with joy, for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And from Matthew five ten to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is thy reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And from Ephesians 6, 12 to 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Well, so faithful is condemned. The jury was unanimous. And that he should be taken to a place where he was to suffer the most cruel death they could invent. As Bunyan writes it, Therefore they brought the condemned prisoner out to execute him according to their law. First they scourged him. Then they severely mauled him. And after this they slashed his flesh with knives. And further, they stoned him and lanced him with their swords. And finally, they burned him to ashes. 
at the stake. So Faithful came to his earthly end. Now I noticed that behind the watching multitude, there stood a chariot and a pair of horses, Bunyan writes, waiting for Faithful. For as soon as his adversaries had executed him, he was immediately placed in it and transported up through the clouds with a trumpet accompaniment by means of the shortest route directly to the gate of the celestial city. Now the death of faithful is a story of truth and faith and obedience and of finishing the race finishing the race. As C.S. Lewis once wrote, the introduction of Hopeful, the refugee from Vanity Fair, enables Bunyan to draw a moral. Quote, Thus one died to make testimony to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. Faithful's ordeal was not in vain, for, and I quote, the martyrdom of Faithful had kindled a light in Vanity Fair that would not easily be put out, and many there were that by his examples would themselves, as Hopeful did, become pilgrims. And so by the death of one Faithful to bear testimony to the truth, many were affected by that testimony, whose hearts might otherwise have remained hardened to the end of life. Faithful's sure, eternal reward awaits him as a chariot whisks him off to the celestial gate to meet the king under whose banner he has so valiantly served. So, loved ones, when we become weary of the sin and the strife in this world and the trials that meet us at every turn, consider that all the saints have endured the same. They weren't carried on beds of down to heaven, and you and I must not expect to travel more easily than they. Now, as legend has it, that Christian was able to escape as a result of an unknown believer unlocking his jail cell. This unknown believer had apparently come to the Lord as the result of Christian's and faithful's obedient walk. Here's a question. How's your walk? Have we, as Christians walked in a way to inspire others to seek the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's reflect on that while we read Ephesians 5, 3-7. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, as his journey continues, Christian is not left to walk alone in sorrow. For as he leaves Vanity Fair, he is given another excellent companion in Hopeful, 
and as hopeful takes faithful's place, he learns they must bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. From Galatians 6.2 Hopeful tells Christian there are many more men in vanity that would take their time and follow after. And why were there many more? Because they had been inspired in the way of the Lord by the actions of both of these men, Christian and faithful. I wonder, loved ones, where are we on the inspiration meter these days? Are we cold, hot, or lukewarm? Listen, from Galatians 6 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We will end this episode with what some would refer to as a hard and most difficult message from Spurgeon. But let us bear in mind this quote of his. I am perhaps vulgar. But it is not intentional, save that I must and will make people listen. And he writes, I charge you by the living God, if you cannot keep good company and avoid the circle of dissipation, do not profess to be followers of Christ. For he bids you come out from among them and be separate. If you can find pleasure in lewd society and lascivious songs, What right have you to mingle with the fellowship of saints or to join in the singing of the psalms? Pray with me. O Father God, on bended knees we come to you, grateful for your righteousness, your mercy, even your wrath, Father God. And we are eternally grateful for your Son, our Redeemer, our Lord, our King of kings, the Lamb and the Lion. May all that we do bring you glory and honor, Father God, and may the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts pierce the darkness and make visible the path for others, that they, too, Father, may find the courage to travel that narrow way all the way to your celestial city. Amen. In our next episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 8, Confronting Worldly Attachments. Until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 